Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, heathens, and happy Murder in the News Monday that I'm going to try to release every single Monday morning because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage, and you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. So I've scoured the internet for the headlines so you don't have to. Happy commuting. And here we go. Side note, if you can hear the humming in the background, I have the air conditioner in my room running because it is already 90 degrees where I live. Okay. So our first article comes from E! Online, E! News Online. The title says, A father-daughter incest case that ended in murder. The haunting story of Katie Plattle. So Katie met her birth parents when she turned 18 and ended up having a baby with her biological father, Stephen, who, according to police, killed them both before taking his own life. Quote, I can't even believe this is happening, so said the woman heard on the 911 call made on the morning of April 12, 2018, and obtained by North Carolina's WNCN-TV. The voice on the recording belonged to the mother of 43-year-old Stephen, who, according to police, phoned his mom and confessed to killing three people before fatally shooting himself, all of which sounds like a nightmare, but the identity of the victims and the disturbing series of events that led up to the slayings make the story all the more horrifying. The deceased included Stephen's 20-year-old daughter, Katie, and her seven-month-old son, Bennett. Police said Stephen was Bennett's father, which had resulted in both he and Katie being charged with incest several months before the murders. Also among the dead was Katie's adoptive father, Anthony. Quote, events like this are not common in our community, Nightingale, North Carolina Police Chief Lawrence Capps told reporters at the time, Quote, unfortunately, they are not uncommon in society. We are heartbroken and saddened over the death of this child. And like you, we are trying to make sense of all the factors that led up to this senseless taking of life. End quote. Ew. As evidenced by the podcasters and TikTok sleuths who've been revisiting the case ever since, people are still trying to make sense of it all. So who was Katie Plattle? Stephen's ex-wife, Alyssa, met Stephen online when she was 15 and he was 20, she told the Associated Press after the murders. In January of 98, they had a daughter they named Denise, but they put her up for adoption when she was eight months old because, Alyssa said, she believed Stephen had been abusing the baby. Quote, it was so hard to give her up, Alyssa said, but... I had to because I wanted her to live and be happy, end quote. Denise was renamed Katie by Anthony and Kelly Fusco, who also had a biological daughter. Katie's uncle, Gary, described the family's life as very, very normal. But when she turned 18 in 2006, Katie, who loved to draw and had expressed her desire to go to college and work in digital advertising, decided she wanted to meet her birth parents. That August, Carrie told the AP she moved in with Stephen and Alyssa. 
According to Alyssa, Stephen emotionally and verbally abused her for years, and their marriage was already on the rocks when Katie moved into their Richmond, Virginia area home. Alyssa said she warned Katie that Stephen had abused her when she was a baby, and that's why they put her up for adoption. Stephen started sleeping on the floor of Katie's room about six weeks after she came to stay with them, Alyssa shared with the AP. He told Alyssa to mind her own business and stormed out of the house when she asked him about it. According to an arrest warrant later issued for Stephen and Katie in Henrico County, Virginia, he and Alyssa legally separated in November 2016 and she moved out. Alyssa told police that she found out in May 2017 that Katie was pregnant by reading about it in her 11-year-old daughter's journal. The warrant that this came to be about, that the 11-year-old also wrote about her father telling her and her 6-year-old sister to start calling Katie their stepmom. Alyssa told police, per the warrant, Stephen admitted to impregnating Katie when she angrily called him, quote, I was just cursing him out. How could you? You're sick. She's a child, end quote. And then she called the police to report him. Stephen's lawyer, Rick Friedman, characterized Katie and Stephen's relationship as consensual. Quote, this case is an 18-year-old girl who shows up at the doorstep of a 40-year-old man who's going through difficult times with his wife. They have a bond because they're biologically related, but they never knew each other before they had a sexual relationship. He was head over heels in love with her, so much so that that outweighed the issue of them being biologically related. Okay. So for the next one is actually sort of a series of articles, but I saved them all kind of as they chronologically came out. So we're going to experience these together. I didn't actually read this particular series of articles ahead of time because, as I said in the live, I kind of wanted us all to experience this at the same time. So these all kind of go within the same story. But the first article comes from ABC News. The title reads, Seven Bodies Found on Oklahoma Property Amid Search for Missing Teens. The medical examiner's office is working to identify the bodies. This is the first article. So seven bodies were found in Henrietta, Oklahoma on Monday amid a search for two teenage girls who were reported missing over the weekend, according to the sheriff's office. While the medical examiner is still waiting to identify the seven bodies, investigators, quote, are no longer looking for the two teens, Okmulgee County Sheriff Eddie Rice told reporters outside the crime scene later in the afternoon Monday. The Oklahoma Highway Patrol had issued an endangered missing person advisory on behalf of the sheriff's office for 14-year-old Ivy Webster and 16-year-old Brittany Brewer. The missing teens were possibly traveling with an adult, 39-year-old Jesse McFadden, according to the advisory. Quote, we believe we found the persons. We are just waiting for confirmation, Rice said. The sheriff reiterated that the medical examiner hasn't made any official confirmation. Quote, we are doing everything that we can just in case something is left open. We don't want to miss anything, end quote. Investigators said the missing girls were hanging out in the McAllister area and were supposed to return home, 
by 5 p.m. So that was the first article. Be honest. Really, Oklahoma's starting to sound super hood. I'm so glad I am on the Missouri side of that. So the next article regarding the Oklahoma situation comes from Fox 10 Phoenix. And the title reads, Woman IDs four of seven Oklahoma bodies found as daughter and grandchildren. So coming out of Henrietta, Oklahoma, as law enforcement officials went silent Tuesday while piecing together what led to the killing of seven people in rural Oklahoma, family members of those slain recalled the controlling nature of one of the dead who was a registered sex offender. Since the bodies were found early Monday, authorities have released scant information on who was killed, how they died, and who killed them. But two relatives said all the victims were shot to death. Jeanette Mayo, whose daughter and three teenage grandchildren were among the dead, said the controlling behavior of her son-in-law, Jesse McFadden, was concerning, but that the family didn't learn about his criminal history until a few months ago. Quote, he lied to my daughter and he convinced her it was all just a huge mistake. He was very standoffish, generally very quiet, but he kept my daughter and the kids basically under lock and key. He had to know where they were at at all times, which sent red flags up, end quote. Okmulgee County Sheriff Eddie Rice said the bodies were found on the property where McFadden lived near Henrietta, a town of about 6,000, about 90 miles or 145 kilometers east of Oklahoma City. Rice said the bodies included two missing teens, Ivy Webster, 14, and Brittany Brewer, 16, along with McFadden. Rice said the state medical examiner would have to confirm the victims' identities. Mayo said the sheriff's office notified her late Monday that the other four victims were her daughter, Holly Guess, 35, and her grandchildren, Riley Elizabeth Allen, 17, Michael James Mayo, 15, and Tiffany Dorr Guess, 13. Mayo said Tiffany was close friends with Ivy and Brittany, who were spending the weekend with the family. While Rice declined to provide details of how they died, Mayo, 59, said the sheriff's office told her that her daughter and grandchildren died from gunshot wounds. Ivy's father filed a missing person report with the local sheriff's office when she didn't return home Sunday night after spending the weekend with McFadden, Guess, and her children. Justin Webster said he thought the children went with McFadden to spend some time on a ranch where he was working near McAllister. He said law enforcement officials also told him that all of the victims suffered gunshot wounds, that some had been lined up and were located across the property. Webster echoed descriptions of McFadden as controlling and unusual, but said he had no idea about McFadden's criminal background. Quote, I would say he was weird, Webster said. He was always getting into his kids' phones and reading all their snap messages and all that. It wasn't in a way of a concerned parent. It was more like keeping tabs on the kids, end quote. The missing endangered person advisory issued early Monday said Webster and Brewer had been seen traveling with McFadden, who was on the state's sex offender registry. 
Oklahoma Department of Corrections prison records show he was convicted of first degree rape in 2003 and released in October 2020. That's 17 years behind bars, guys. McFadden had been scheduled to appear in court Monday for the start of a jury trial on charges of soliciting sexual conduct with a minor and possession of child pornography. Court records show he was communicating with a then 16-year-old girl using a contraband cell phone while he was incarcerated at a state prison near Muskogee. The teen's grandfather reported their communications to prison officials, according to an affidavit from the Department of Corrections investigator. Justin Webster hopes this whole ordeal leads to harsher criminal penalties for sex offenders, especially those who target children. Quote, the sexual offender registry doesn't work. I think there needs to be action taken. There needs to be repercussions and someone needs to be held accountable. They let a monster out. They did this. End quote. McFadden's attorney in that case has not responded to a phone message left Monday evening. In speaking to reporters Monday... Rice acknowledged another gruesome homicide case last fall in around Okmulgee County. The bodies of four men were found October 14th in the Deep Fork River in Okmulgee, a small town about 15 miles north of Henrietta. If you remember, I kind of talked about this, where um, these four friends were going to a scrapyard and nefarious things allegedly, supposedly, maybe going to steal from the guy, and he killed them, and then he cut them in half and left them in the river, if you remember that. So like I said, Oklahoma's sounding a little ratchet. So the third out of the four articles about the Oklahoma situation, this one comes from People. Slumber Party Massacre. Teens found dead at sex offenders' home were having sleepover with his stepdaughter. The parents who let their daughters sleep over at their longtime friend's house never knew her stepfather was a convicted sex offender. Two of the teens who were found shot to death on the property of an Oklahoma sex offender were there for a sleepover with the man's stepdaughter, something they had done many times before, the parents say. It says authorities in Oklahoma were searching for missing teens on a rural property near the tiny town of Henrietta when they discovered seven bodies strewn on the ground, including those of the teenage girls. Authorities believe Guess's husband, Jesse McFadden, 39, shot and killed them all before taking his own life in a murder-suicide. But the parents of these kids said that they did not know that Guess's new husband, McFadden, was a convicted sex offender who had recently been released from prison. They also didn't know that he was due in court Monday to answer to child pornography charges. Law enforcement went to his house to serve a warrant for his arrest when he failed to show up to court. So then the final article on this comes from NBC News. The title reads, quote, this is all on you. Rapist wrote woman who was ready to testify against him before seven were found dead in Oklahoma. Quote, I thought I was protecting people, said Caitlin Babb, who says she was a teen when Jess McFadden lured her into a relationship while he was in prison. So it says the Facebook message arrived Sunday night. 
Jesse McFadden wrote that he was doing well at a marketing job and had made a great life, just like I promised I would do with you, end quote. Now it's all gone, he said in a message, which he sent with a photo of himself staring directly at the camera. Quote, I told you I wouldn't go back. This is all on you for continuing this. End quote. Hours later, this is when authorities found the bodies of McFadden, his wife, her three teenage children, and two other teens who were at the house for a sleepover. It says again he was a convicted rapist who spent nearly 17 years in prison before his 2020 release, had likely shot all six in the head before killing himself. The message, first reported by an Oklahoma Fox affiliate, was sent to a woman who said she was set to testify against McFadden in a child sex abuse trial scheduled to begin the same day the bodies were found. So here we have the motive. The woman, Caitlin Babb, 23, provided the message to NBC News. It was sent from an account with the name Holly Days, and the police chief leading the investigation just outside Henrietta, Oklahoma, Joe Prentice said he had reviewed the message and wasn't sure if it was sent before or after the killings. In an email, Prentice said that he wasn't willing to read too much into it. Quote, it seemed to me he was blaming her for his situation for continuing the criminal case against him. In an interview, Babb provided a harrowing account of how McFadden allegedly lured her into a predatory relationship as a teenager, convincing her from prison that they had a future together and threatening her when the relationship was revealed and charges were filed. She said that she read the message as McFadden blaming her for the killings because she refused to back down from the child pornography and soliciting sexual conduct communication with a minor charges. Quote, I thought I was protecting people, she said. I thought this was going to keep him from hurting more people. She added, he took away my innocence, my childhood. I didn't want him to do that to anyone ever again. Oh my gosh, I bet she does feel like it's her fault. That is absolutely horrible. So anyway, yeah, horrible situation. So creepy items left in the rapist's home after the killing they found things in the home like handcuffs, bondage collars, lubricant spread about a cluttered laundry room. Next door in the kitchen, a chain was seen hooked to a counter, and in the master bedroom, a second chain was hanging behind the bed. Okay, so we're going to move on from that Oklahoma business. This one comes from Inside Edition. The title says, Arkansas woman indicted for allegedly selling stolen body parts, including brains, hearts, and genitalia. First Oklahoma and then Arkansas. We in Missouri stand no chance. It says, Arkansas woman Candace Scott, a former mortuary worker, was charged with 12 counts in connection with allegedly selling stolen body parts, authorities said. She has pleaded not guilty. A former mortuary worker in Arkansas has been indicted on federal charges in connection with allegedly selling stolen body parts, including fetuses and brains, to a Pennsylvania man. She has pleaded not guilty to 12 counts, including mail fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, wire fraud, conspiracy to commit interstate transportation of stolen property, and interstate transportation of stolen property, according to a federal indictment unsealed Friday. 
She is in custody pending a bail hearing scheduled for Tuesday. So this woman is accused of selling about $11,000 worth of body parts to a man in Pennsylvania she met through a Facebook group devoted to, quote, oddities. The man, Jeremy Polly of East Pennsboro Township, was arrested last year for allegedly purchasing body parts such as lungs, hearts, brains, and fetuses, police said. He has pleaded not guilty and is free on $50,000 bond, according to online records. So Miss Scott was employed at Arkansas Central Mortuary Services, where she worked cremating, embalming, and transporting human remains. The University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in Little Rock said last year the facility receives cadavers and remains for medical students to autopsy. She allegedly contacted Polly in October of 2021 and offered to sell him remains, quote, just out of curiosity, would you know anyone in the market for a fully intact embalmed brain? Scott wrote to Polly in a Facebook message. Scott collected $10,975 in 16 PayPal transfers. U.S. Magistrate Judge J. Thomas Ray called the alleged conduct, quote, shocking and depraved, but told prosecutors who requested that Scott be held without bail until trial that she could only be ordered to remain jailed if she is deemed a flight risk. So the Pennsylvania authorities discovered the alleged scheme last year after responding to reports of human remains at Polly's home. Investigators found five-gallon containers of various body parts. Quote, this is one of the most bizarre investigations I have encountered in my 33 years as a prosecutor. Just when I think I have seen it all, a case like this comes around. End quote. District Attorney Sean McCormick said in a statement, that is messed up. So our next one comes from lawandcrime.com and the title reads, former Christian missionary convicted of sexual abuse and incest after victim under the age of 12 contracts a gonorrhea. An Iowa man and former Christian missionary was convicted of sexually abusing a child after prosecutors told jurors the victim contracted gonorrhea. Jordan D. Andrew Webb, 30, hails from the city of Fort Dodge, which is located along the Des Moines River, roughly 100 miles due north of Des Moines itself. On Friday, he was found guilty by a Webster County jury on one count each of sexual abuse with persons under the age of 12 in the second degree, incest, and child endangerment. Quote, we are pleased with the outcome and that the jury provided justice in this matter, Assistant Webster County Attorney Bailey Taylor told The Messenger, the local daily newspaper in Fort Dodge. Webb was arrested in late April 2022 by the Webster County Sheriff's Office after health concerns, air quotes, were raised regarding a juvenile earlier that same month. Those concerns prompted the child's emergency removal from the custody of their guardian. The victim's name and gender are not being reported. 
An ensuing investigation resulted in a search warrant being executed at an address on 225th Street in Webster County. That address, the messenger reports, is owned by Harvest Baptist Church and used for its Harvest Baptist Bible College. Webb worked as a missionary sent by Harvest Baptist to St. Lucia as part of a, quote, Christ in the Caribbean project from 2019 through early 2022. During trial, evidence was presented that Webb was diagnosed with gonorrhea just days before the child was also diagnosed with gonorrhea. The prosecution's case was aided in substantial part by the testimony of Dr. Regina Torson, an expert in child abuse pediatrics. Taylor was the lead prosecutor and successfully pushed back against the defense's claims that the child could have contracted gonorrhea in a non-sexual manner. Quote, it's possible, but is it reasonable? The prosecutor reportedly asked the jury rhetorically during her closing statement. If this is so possible, why aren't we seeing it more? Taylor went on. There is absolutely nothing reasonable about getting gonorrhea from a bathtub. That is not a thing, because if it was, there'd be a lot more cases of gonorrhea. It wouldn't be a sexually transmitted disease, but it is. End quote. The defense complained that the entirety of the evidence against the defendant was circumstantial in their closing argument, according to the paper. Defense attorney Dean Stowers also reportedly challenged the credibility of the witnesses in the case, arguing the jurors, quote, every one of their witnesses is a reasonable doubt. The prosecution said the sheer amount of evidence during the three-day trial was enough to convict the defendant in the case. Quote, you put those pieces together to come to a conclusion. Don't ignore what happened to this child. Don't ignore all of the evidence that you have seen. End quote. The jury deliberated for less than two and a half hours to find him guilty on all counts. Thank God. And for our last one, and this one I certainly hope does not start a bunch of crap because <laughs> most of us know what the truth is in this. We really feel it. We feel that the conviction was warranted and all of that. But there are some trolls out there that definitely go out of their way when they are Team Scott Peterson. That's right, guys. Our last article comes from Yahoo News. The title says, Scott Peterson isn't giving up on getting a new trial. Here's who he says killed Lacey. Sit down, guys. This is good. This one made me chuckle. So Scott Peterson's quest for a new trial was dealt a significant blow in December when a judge rejected his claim that a biased juror served on his 2004 murder trial. His case is far from over, though. Peterson last month filed a new petition for habeas corpus in California's first district court of appeal. It has six claims, including that new witnesses have come forward with information supporting the defense's theory that Lacey was abducted and killed by men she saw burglarizing a neighbor's home. So here we go. After walking her dog on Christmas Eve 2002, she quote, confronted the burglars by threatening to call the police. The petition reads, they then killed her and after learning Scott, 
the primary suspect had been fishing in the San Francisco Bay, dumped her body there, end quote. <laughs> because we all know that a hugely pregnant woman, a small, tiny, little, sweet, hugely pregnant woman, defenseless, right, is going to be looking out her window. She's going to see some men burglarizing, burglaring, being burglars. And she's going to, you know, open the door, point out, hey, hey, fuckers. Hey, guess what? She probably wouldn't cuss. I see you burglarizing, burglaring. I see you. I just wanted you to know that I'm going to call the cops, okay? I'm calling the cops on you because I see you stealing from somebody's house, okay? You guys have a nice time in jail because nobody's going to do that. Why would she do that? Who is going to announce that they're going to call the police on seeing people burglarizing a house? I wouldn't. Would any of you? That is the most ridiculous, stupid, fucking asinine shit I've ever heard. The article goes on to say, in early January 2003, Modesto police issued a press release saying they had arrested Stephen Wayne Todd and Donald Glenn Pierce for the burglary across from the Peterson home on Covina Avenue in Modesto. Police said the burglary occurred two days after Lacey Peterson went missing and they had no reason to believe the men were connected to her disappearance. So, anyway... Peterson's trial attorney, Mark, whoever, told the jury in opening statements he would prove that Peterson was, quote, stone, cold, innocent, based on evidence that Lacey was alive when Scott drove to the San Francisco Bay. I cannot with him. I absolutely cannot. Sorry for the teapot, ridiculous hyena laughing, but that's... That's that's the best I can do. But anyway, guys, that is what I have for you for this lovely Monday morning murder in the news episode. So let's have a good week. I have a big meeting with my boss on Wednesday. That's going to be three hours and y'all just send some good juju my way. Okay, I need I need some goodness to keep my mouth shut. Have a fantastic week, guys, and we'll see you on Thursday.